0: Amen. Great job, Mike. Good song, good thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We are working our way through a Sunday evening series on Bible doctrine to understand what we believe and teach here and why we do so. Believers, of course, begin by learning what the Bible teaches to be sound doctrine. Wiser and more mature disciples also learn why, why they believe the doctrines they've been taught, because sound doctrine produces spiritual stability, and my goal in this series is for the core of Bible Baptist Church to become people who know why in a world where few know what to be true. Uh, Why do we do what we do as biblical Christians? well Why are we against what we speak against? Why are we for what we speak for and promote, why we stand where we stand, preach what we preach, teach what we teach. Uh, Listen, there is a reason. Uh, We're not just Bible Baptist Church because that's on the sign out front. Uh, That is our focus. What do the words of God say? And last Sunday night we talked about giving and God's plan for handling our money. We were reminded that giving is an act of faith. It is acknowledging that everything we have, including our opportunity to make money, comes from God. We learned that the first tenth, that tithes should be paid to our church, the New Testament storehouse. We learned that giving continues for Christians as we give offerings above our tithe, and it is a great privilege because we have liberty in Christ to give more than the minimum because of love for God and love for the things of God, and we learned That God bountifully blesses those who give bountifully. He sparingly blesses those who give sparingly. And that God loves a cheerful giver. All over this room are believers who would stand up and testify how their faithful giving and wise management of what remained uh, caused them not only to have enough for their needs, but to have extra for many of their wants. Tonight, uh, I would like to speak about a topic that's taken for granted in churches like this one. And though many here have likely not heard the formal name of this doctrine, most people here have believed and taken advantage of this great truth for many years. Uh, There are a lot of people in the world who would call themselves Christian who don't believe what I'm going to teach tonight. Uh, And they don't believe it because they've never been taught it. Uh, And like every area of doctrine that is given to us in the Word of God, believers miss a great blessing and a great opportunity from our loving Father by failing to understand this doctrine. And though many are unfamiliar with the name, I hope most people here tonight regularly take advantage of this great truth. If you're able to stand, stand please in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought tonight is the priesthood of every believer. The priesthood of every believer. Revelation chapter 1, and verse 1, we read the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to shew unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us uh, from our sins in his own blood. By the way, that little phrase there, washed us from our sins in his own blood, that's missing if you have a different Bible. And verse 6 says, And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, you might be seated. The book of Revelation we just read is addressed to believing people. In verse 1 it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to shew unto His servants. The book is written to servants of Jesus Christ, those who believe on the Lord. This letter is in addition to that specifically and specially addressed to seven specific local churches, seven assemblies of believers in Asia. Verse 4 says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, this really, in effect, is no different from other New Testament epistles which are specifically written to believers in a city, in a church in that city, like the church in Corinth, or the church in Ephesus, or the church in Thessalonica, or the church in Rome, but this uh, is also to the servants of God, and instead of a focus on one church, it is specifically to seven churches. Now, whether we like it or not, Jesus Christ, both then and now, primarily communicates to His people through His churches. Uh, And if we were to study this, and we have on a couple of different occasions over the years, Jesus had a specific message for those individual churches. He communicated it to them through the angel, the messenger, that he had called and sent to each one of those churches. And most of us have read, but some rarely consider these two things that Christ made us, When we trusted him as Savior, did you catch them in verse 6 when we read it earlier? It says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Now, all believers in Christ have been made kings unto God. Uh, That means we're part of the royal family uh, to him, and we will one day rule and reign with Christ when he reigns over the world for a thousand years, and Israel becomes the head of the nations. But did you catch the second thing there? In Christ, all believers have also been made priests unto God. What does it mean to be made a priest unto God? Now, if you turn up to chapter 5, it doesn't surprise us as the scene switches from the Isle of Patmos on earth to a heavenly scene. It doesn't surprise us when we read in verses 9 and 10, says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou, hast, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, We shall reign on earth. It doesn't surprise us to read that those 24 uh, specially blessed and specially rewarded believers throughout history that they're called kings and priests in heaven. That doesn't surprise us. Turn up to Revelation chapter 20. Very near the end of the book. Revelation chapter 20. Notice what it says in verse 6. Blessed and holy is He that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. It doesn't surprise us that believers martyred during that seven year tribulation who are resurrected at that seven year mark to reign with Christ. It doesn't surprise us to read that those martyred for their faith are called priests of Christ. That, that that doesn't surprise us but it may surprise us for all believers in Christ to be called a priest unto God now in contrast to that I'll uh, go back in your bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 in contrast to the false claim uh, of Rome that Peter went to Rome and established a priesthood there uh, Peter claims hey listen there is no special priesthood that began, begins with me. Uh, all believers, Peter wrote to believers who were Jewish believers, notice what he says about them in 1 Peter 2.5, he says, ye also, as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Uh, In contrast to Peter starting some special priesthood in Rome, listen, uh, he reminds all the believers to whom he wrote, listen, you are a holy priesthood. Now that doesn't match Rome's claim, but it does match what we read everywhere else in the Scripture, that all true believers are priests unto God. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, and he had... 12 sons, and those uh, 12 sons each became one of the fathers of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Jacob's fourth son Judah became the kingly tribe, and it's no surprise that David came from Judah, and Jesus Christ came from Judah, the kingly tribe. His third son was a son by the name of Levi. Moses and Aaron and Miriam were from the tribe of Levi, and it's no surprise that that became the priestly tribe tribe. Now to be an Old Testament priest was a very significant thing. I mean, understand that all the people in the lineage of Levi had something to do with the Jewish tabernacle. They had some kind of role in the work of God. But among all of those from the tribe of Levi were those in the lineage of Aaron who had the privilege of being a priest. More than 99% of the Jews were not priests. It was a very special group among them, an elite group you might say, which brings up a good question. If these people in the lineage of Levi, through Aaron in particular, were priests unto God and you and I are called priests unto God in Christ, how does that apply to you and I today Uh, because Jesus has made us priests unto God. If you would put that first slide up there, if you would, please. That is a uh, reconstruction of the Jewish uh, tabernacle. You read about God giving Moses specific instructions for that. When the Jews were in the wilderness, it was in the center of their camp. It was the focus of worship and service to God. And if you look on the left-hand side, uh, any of the people could enter there. And the first thing that was there is that square copper-colored thing, the brazen altar where they would offer sacrifices. All the Jews could see that. Every one of them could be a part of that. The next thing there is the uh, brazen uh, laver where the priests would wash their hands before they uh, did the service of God. And then that kind of lean-to there, that's the holy place. And if you uh, put up the next slide... That's kind of like a little cutaway of the holy place. Only the priests were allowed in the holy place. All the Jews could see the brazen altar. All of them could offer sacrifices that pictured Christ. All of them could offer burnt offerings that pictured complete dedication to God. But only the priests got to go in there and see that. Uh, Only the priest got to see the golden candlestick that pictures Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Uh, Only the priest got to see that thing with the four handles Uh, that's to the bottom right of the screen, the table of shoe bread, because Jesus Christ is a bread of life and nourishes His people. Only the priests got to see that little square tall thing there that also has two handles there as the altar of incense. The priests would offer incense there and they would pray facing uh, the most holy place which you can see the veil cut away and the Ark of the Covenant in there that pictured God's presence. But only the priests... Got to see all of that stuff, which gets us to our thought for tonight. What does it mean to be a priest unto God when Christ made us priests unto God? What does it mean? I'm glad you asked. If you go first, please, in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what does it mean? What should it mean to us to be a priest unto God? Here's the first thing, number one. Priests saw things and knew things about God no one else was allowed to see. Priests saw things and knew things about God no one else was allowed to see. First Corinthians chapter 2, four, verse 14 says these words. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. A natural man is an unsaved person. It says, for their foolishness unto him. Not only the foolishness unto him, notice it says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And we're reminded here that unsaved people have no spiritually, spiritual understanding. When it comes to someone who does not yet to know the Lord, the only spiritual things they can grasp is that they are a guilty sinner, that God is holy, that they've broken God's moral laws, that Christ died for their sins according to the Scriptures, rose again from the dead after three days according to the Scriptures, and that He offers eternal life by grace through faith if they would humble themselves, repent, and believe and receive Christ as Savior. That's all an unsaved person can understand. Please, if you're here and you're saved, don't expect society or your unsaved family or your unsaved friends to understand uh, your spiritual priorities. They're not going to understand or agree with biblical morality. Uh, People only understand what God enlightens them to understand. And thank God that God gives light in Christ to everybody who walks on the face of our planet. No matter who you are, no matter where you are from, God will enlighten you to a sufficient degree that you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But when it comes to spiritual matters, unsaved people cannot see them. But as believers in Christ, we can see. We get to see things just like the Old Testament priests that only we are privileged to see. Only the priests could enter the holy place and see the golden candlestick, the table of shoe bread, uh, the altar of incense. Only the priests got to see that. Every other Jew had to accept by faith that they were there, but the priests got to see them. Uh, listen, everyone who wanted to, every Jew, every Gentile who wanted to follow the God of the Bible, they could have their sins cleansed, they could watch their sacrifice offered on that brazen altar that pictured Calvary. But only the priests could enter the tabernacle and see the furniture inside. And just like Old Testament priests, if you're here tonight and you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are privileged to be able to know things, learn things, and see things that other people who don't know the Lord, cannot see. Listen, knowing sound doctrine and understanding the things of God is not some privilege for some elite group of believing people. We are all made priests unto God. To know God and understand the things of of God and to know sound doctrine, if you are a believer, that is your privilege. You can know and see. You're a priest unto God. Listen, every believer can know God. Every believer can understand the multifaceted diamond of his character and personality. Listen, the world looks at uh, our Heavenly Father as being some heavenly ogre who is trying to take their fun and threaten them with a fiery future. For those of us who know the Lord, we see something different. We see a loving Father who made a way for mankind to come and live forever with Him through Christ. We see something completely different because we are a priest unto God. And too often we fail to appreciate the privilege that we have as believers of knowing God and seeing things in the spiritual realm that others cannot see. I would to God that every believer here, that you had a burden to know more about the things of God. Uh, You have the privilege of being able to see them. You have the privilege of being able to know them. But God is not going to just take it if you set your Bible on your forehead and go to sleep at night. God's not just going to ooze that into your head while you sleep. But if on the other hand, you humbly open the pages of this book and faithfully commit yourself to come someplace that preaches and teaches this book, God will teach you. He will let you see things the world cannot see. You are a priest of God in Christ. What a privilege. Do you take advantage of that privilege? Or are you content to be barely more knowledgeable than the world around us. But seeing things and knowing things that no one else could see was not the only aspect of the priesthood. Go back in your Bible, if you would please, to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. By the way, I'm just teaching the Bible. I know I'm kind of preachy when I teach, but... It's the way I'm wired. I'm sure you can find some boring, monotone person somewhere. But my heart is stirred about this stuff. That gets us to our second thing. Priests participated in the work of God in a way no one else was allowed to participate. It isn't just that priests saw and new things other people were not allowed to see and know. They also got to participate in the work of God in a way that no one else was allowed to participate. Now we're going to read a few verses in Leviticus and uh, I, I know that it's very easy to get bogged down in this part of the Bible. There are five separate Jewish sacrifices. Each of them in some way picture some aspect of Christ's sacrifice for us. In this particular section... He's going to talk about the burnt offering, which was a sacrifice that had nothing to do with sin. It had everything to do with that person offering the sacrifice being completely dedicated to the Lord. Uh, Let's read about how that went down. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1 says, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, he shall bring your offering of the cattle, uh, even of the herd, or of the flock, and of the flock. If this offering uh, be a burnt off sacrifice of the herd, let him offer it, a male, without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will, the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Here's how the sacrifice went down. It says, He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. Uh, by the way, that's symbolic of a transfer. And so... In effect, he's transferring something to what he's about to sacrifice. It says, and you be sec- accepted for him to make an atonement for him. So notice it says, and he, that's the person offering the sacrifice, shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the uh, uh, congregation. Did you see the second thing that happened? The person who offers the sacrifice kills it themselves. Now, for city people, and I'm a country person, um, you probably don't get how difficult this is to slit the throat of an animal. That this is an incredibly traumatic and graphic thing. So they tie this animal to the altar, and the person offering it slips its throat. The priest catches the blood, sprinkles it round about the altar, Verse 6 says, and he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it in his pieces. So the person that brings it, the next thing you do is you cut it up. Uh, Again, if you have never butchered an animal uh, or cut up a deer, you can't imagine how difficult this is. Uh, listen, there, there's men in here and, and your hands are calloused and you know, big from working with your hands like Joe spoke about the other day. He's super jealous of you. Um, and then there's other people in here, and, and, and honestly, you're, you're tender and you're gentle. Um, by the way, Jesus was gentle. He also worked with his hands. He was both. But imagine you doing this. It says in verse 7, The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire and the priests, Aaron's son shall lay uh, the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash with water and the priest shall burn all in the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor uh, unto uh, the Lord. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Wow. See, most of the time when we consider the Jewish sacrifices that all pictured Christ's sacrifice in some way, we sterilize them. I mean, imagine how personal and graphic this was to experience yourself. By the way, uh, when when people have pictures of Christ on the cross, it has nothing to do with what it really looked like. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. His face swollen and puffed from being hit across the face, those large thorns jammed upon his head, the Roman spear having cut his sides and his back so deeply that his whole body ran down with blood. Listen, it was an incredibly graphic thing when Christ became sin for us and died on the cross for our sins. That's why it's such a big deal to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a big deal to die in your sins. Now when the person brought their sacrifice, we read what they did. Now the priests kept the knives sharp. They polished the brazen altar. They started to maintain the fire in the altar. The priests changed the bread in the table of shoe that They added oil and wicks to the golden candlestick. They packed up the tabernacle every time it was moved so the Levites could trans- uh, transport it. There were a lot of tasks that only the priests got to do to keep the work of God going that the other Jews were not privileged to do. Listen, God could do His work in many different ways. Listen, God could today do His work through angels. God could today speak from the heavens audibly. He could frame the words of God in the stars of the night sky. But He did instead chose you and I as priests of God, as people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose us to do His work here. Now I'm sure the Old Testament priests grew weary at times of their work. I'm sure at times they wish they could just go to the tabernacle and let the priest do their thing and then just go home. By the way, just like some of us feel who carry the yoke of Christ to do His work. You don't ever really just get to come to church and sit. And sometimes you grow weary and and well-doing and lose sight of what it means to uh, be a priest of God, to have the privilege to do the work of God, a privilege that other people don't uh, get to do. Uh, Listen, the priests were privileged to do work for God that no one else, they were chosen, they were sent by God. And in like manner, you and I as priests of God, we get to participate in the work of God in our world in a way, in a unique way, other people don't get to do kind of interesting. Go to in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now if you know anything about the church in Corinth, you know that especially when he wrote 1 Corinthians to them, it was a carnal place. Uh, they had a lot of problems. You say, why? Uh, because people have always been people. Uh, that's true of the churches that were written to in the New Testament. That's true of churches today. Hey, Listen, if you're going to leave this place because some people in this place don't do what they're supposed to do, you won't be here long. If you're going to come here because Christ values what we do here and has asked us to faithfully assemble and you're actually looking for sincere, faithful people, you'll find them here too. But notice what Paul said when he wrote to the church of Corinth of all places in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. He says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to, what's that next word? Us. The ministry of reconciliation. Notice, the word of reconciliation was not just something Paul had. It was work that the Corinthian believers had as well. Notice in verse 19, to it, to it, that means that is to say, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto, what's that next word? Us. The word of reconciliation. Who's had the word of reconciliation committed to them? Is it just me? It's us. Well, we're all priests of God. We all have work of God. Notice in verse 20, it says now then, what's that next word? We <laughs> are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you be in Christ said, be reconciled to God. Uh, listen, it is not some elite class of Christian people who have work for God to do, we all do. Listen, I was doing the work of God long before you got here when I bowed my head and prayed for Christ to be honored, you to show up, and God to minister to you. Uh, Somebody's doing the work of God when they're in the nursery tonight. Somebody was doing the work of God when they played instruments tonight. Someone led the music when people sat in the back and made our live stream video work and put the words on the screen and somebody running the sound. Listen, there's a lot of people doing the work of God. Some people are going to do the work of God this week when you pass out flyers with the plan of salvation that points people to Jesus. Some people did the work of God when they're unable physically to do that, but they put the rubber bands on flyers of thousands of flyers. Listen, God has called all of us and given us the privilege as priests of God to do His work in the world. And we need to be careful we don't grow weary in well-doing. You know, the priests weren't like the rest of the world. (laughs) Now, I'm sure at times they became more interested in reconciling themselves to the world than reconciling the world to God who was (laughs) offended at their sins But when they were in focus doing the work of God, they were doing ministry and work for our great Creator. What a privilege to work for our Creator in a world and represent Him in the circle of our life. Listen, we're not just teaching children, cleaning a building, or singing a song when we serve in the Lord's church. We're doing the work of God as only those who have been made priests in Christ can do when you're friendly and warm to someone who visits here, when you do something other than look away and find a friend or family member instead of making them feel welcome and at home there, you're doing the work of God. And we're privileged to do it. The work of God is not just something for the staff and deacons here. The work of God is something for everybody here. If you're a part of Bible Baptist Church, there is a work for you to do. What a privilege. Let me ask you, do you take advantage of that privilege? Listen, if you're new here, that's fine. But you know, once you're here for a while, you need to find some place to serve. Amen. But it isn't just that priests got to See and know things others didn't see, and that priests also got to work for God in a way that others didn't work. Remember, in Christ, you and I are priests unto God. Notice lastly, tonight go in your Bible to First Timothy, chapter two. We're talking about the priesthood of the believer, the privilege every Christian has. I hope. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you avail yourself of what you have been given as a priest of God in Christ. Which gets us to our last thing, number three. Priests communicated with God in a way no one else was allowed to communicate. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Did you read that? Did you hear that? There are not many mediators between God and men, there's one. That one mediator is not the Pope. That one mediator is not Mary. That one mediator is not Christopher, Peter, or Paul. That one mediator is not me. That one mediator is Jesus Christ. Now among the priests who are all in the lineage of Levi was one priest chosen to be the high priest. Aaron was the first high priest. His son Eleazar was the second high priest. And his son Phineas was the third one. And as you saw in that picture, if you could stick it back up again, that last one, if it's not too late. uh, As you saw, see that purple curtain there? That is partially cut away. That separates the holy place where all the priests were allowed to go from the most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant that only the high priest was allowed to go once a year. Go back in your Bible to Matthew 27. In a place in the New Testament that we would likely just read over and not think anything of. Uh, By the way, you don't need to know the Old Testament to be saved. You need to know you're a guilty sinner, that Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead, and that if you would trust Him and humble yourself, and with a repentant heart believe and receive Him, He would save you. But as a believer, it really helps us to know the Old Testament and grow to understand it better because it helps us understand more about our faith and what's going on around us. Now, as I said, once a year, uh, the high priest uh, offered a blood sacrifice for himself and he went behind that purple veil there and he would pray to God uh, for his people in a special way in that most holy place. Now notice what happened in Matthew 27, verse 50. It says in Jesus, when He cried again with a loud voice, this is He's on the cross, yielded up the Holy Ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. So when Jesus died, when He said, uh, it is finished, uh, into thine hands I commit my spirit, that purple veil from the top to the bottom as it was ripped by God Himself, opened up. And that access that previously only the high priest had to God until Christ, that one mediator between God and men, was the high priest. But when Christ died, God ripped that veil in half and He let us know that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ now has access to God Himself, to the presence of God, to be able to pray to God for yourself, for yourself, to pray to God for others in your life. You are now their mediator. You can pray to God. You can talk to God about your problems. You don't need to talk to me about them. Listen, I'll be glad to listen to them if I'm available. But you can... You can talk to God about them you know, people text me and email me prayer requests all the time I'm glad you do I always pause I pray about them I pray for you I'm glad to do so but understand I do not have any more of a privilege to speak to God than any other believer here Every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest unto God. We all have access to bring our prayers, our requests, our heartaches, and all the things that are going on in our life. We can bring them directly to God Himself. And so perhaps the greatest privilege of being a priest of God is not just that we can see and know things others cannot see and know. And not just that we can do work for God that others are not allowed to do. Perhaps the greatest privilege that every believer has as a priest of God is we can speak to God. You don't need a deceased saint for a mediator. You don't need to read some prepared prayer off a card because you think it's better because it's a little more eloquent than you could do it. Hey, listen. God is not impressed with man's eloquence. Nobody's eloquence impresses the author of language. God is impressed when someone in Christ with a sincere heart is just open and honest with Him. You know, I think sometimes we lose sight of the privilege of prayer. and say, why do you say that? Because we don't pray. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ, if Christ is in your life, and you choose not to regard iniquity in your heart, and you choose to keep your sins confessed with a sincere and open heart, You can just talk to God for yourself. (laughs) Are you living up to your privileges as a priest of God in Christ? Like I say, probably most people here haven't heard the official name, but I hope most people here do understand the privilege we have of being able to see and know things the world cannot see and know, of being able to do kinds of work for our creators, for our creator, the world are not allowed to do and being able to speak to God ourself because of Christ. Amen. If you'd quietly stand.